Today, I would like to introduce you to Eleanor Carucci. The breadth of Eleanor's career has been impressive. She has just published her fourth monograph, Midlife, by Monticelli Press, now part of Faden Press. Her work is included in the collections of the Museum of Modern Art New York, the Brooklyn Museum of Art, the Houston Museum of Fine Art, and others. Her work has also appeared in the New York Times Magazine, The New Yorker, W, Aperture, Art News, and numerous other publications. Eleanor has been exhibited extensively, but one of her greatest achievements is the personal and professional honesty and integrity she brings to her work and career. She's an obsessive image maker with patience and vision. Eleanor, welcome to the podcast. I should say congratulations on your recent book, Midwife. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really well received. Really well received, like none of my other books. And it especially meant a lot to me because it was not easy to put this book out there. Why do you think it was really well received? I knew it all along. I mean, in a way, that's why when it dawned on me that this is the project that I'm doing, I was like, this is all that me and my friends are talking about. It's not just some weird thing I'm interested in. By the way, not only female friends. Of course, the book emphasizes more the point of view of a woman, but my friends that are male and the husbands of my friends were talking about aging and being the middle generation between older parents, younger kids. We're all talking about so many of those elements. And it's kind of been, you know, when we say, so are we middle-aged now? Or we're, no, we're not middle-aged. No, don't say it. So there's also this kind of, I was like, yes, we're middle-aged and there is the wonderful and the terrible. And I want to, you know, show all of it. And I think, of course, it's not going to be a fashion book of uh, some celebrities. Of course, it's not going to be a hit, but I had a feeling I will have an audience but then when I started looking for publishers and I got one turn down after the other, I, there are moments there where I was doubting myself. Hmm. I'm sure. I mean, you can't help it. Yeah. But yeah, I think it is a sweet spot. It's something that very few people, galleries, museums address. Very few. It's really something that's been looked over. People don't in, in art, photography or other kind of art. Why do you think? I was trying to think about it because older age is being addressed even more than middle age. I'm not sure I know why. I mean, of course, we're a youth-obsessed culture. Right. So that's part of it. But there's something about this middle age that is really being ignored and even looked down at, like it's only bad, which is not. There's a discomfort, it seems, for certain people, the idea of reaching middle age. Right. And for me as well, it's not like I was like, whoa, I'm getting into my 40s and I'm going to have a hysterectomy. No. Um, I was reading in John Sarna's book, it's a medical doctor about back pain, and he calls it the ages of responsibility. And it's true that there is a lot on our shoulders. These years, I need to make the most income. I have two kids. It's a lot of responsibility. My parents are getting older and they many times need me more than I need them. It's not like I am, you know, really taking care of them daily, but I many times feel I'm the responsible adult around. 
<laughs> well, and those are <laughs> topics we don't talk about publicly either. Right. And about aging in general, even the hysterectomy, it was really hard for me to go through. And then I don't remember the numbers, but the majority of women between the ages of 35 to 65, more than 50% of American women are going through hysterectomy. Yet I don't remember talking about it. Where are those women? And then like many times in my work, you know, I was all my life influenced by photographers and artists, but a lot of the influences now come from conversations. And I just started to ask and Hmm. people don't lie. It's not like they're hiding or they just don't want to embarrass someone. They don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. They think it's a very private thing. I'm not saying, you know, you see someone in the street and they're like, hi, how are you? I'm like, here's my uterus. But, you know, in conversations between women, it doesn't come up as much. Well, and even with people I know who discuss their health or their health issues, I don't think I've ever heard anybody mention it. Not ever. Oh, it's interesting. I know. It's really weird. And it's the majority of women, Thomas. I just, I think when I, in my work, when I encounter things that people don't talk about that are very universal, I am like, this is my place to go to. (laughs) I don't want to find the awkward or the marginal. Those are interesting too. But especially when I find things that we share, that we have in common as human beings, yet we're ashamed of or embarrassed by and want to hide. This is where I get the strobes and the lenses and the cameras <laughs> out. I'm like, I'm going to go there. Because you know it has a voice or it's just something that intrigues you personally or both? Both. And I don't even know why. In a way, I feel the need to, to hide something is very burdening to me. It makes me feel ashamed. It makes me feel isolated and alone. And there is something about sharing a secret, sharing a flaw, sharing something you've been through, sharing a dysfunctional day as a mother that is so comforting when you realize how more common it is than you thought. And you're not alone in it. And you're not alone. And I got so many conversations and words and emails from people and it helped me with my midlife crisis. Not that this was the goal. <laughs> the goal is create a good, interesting body of work. But I do feel that we are more, we, we share more than we realize. We should stop hiding and covering and, and, and you know, feel okay about who we are. And even more than okay, find the beauty in the things that are not supposed to be beautiful. And as I saw the press, and there was quite a bit of it, I thought it resonated both with a a larger audience, but there are a fair number of women who are editors, the vast majority. And I thought you probably hit a nerve with a lot of editors and people working various magazines and websites who thought this is a topic we really need to talk about. Right, right. Yes. And many women, it, it made them feel good about themselves. I always take from my very personal and try to talk about universal things, but I'm afraid to fail. So when something as personal as my own uterus on the you know, medical table, making so many people even laugh the story behind it or feel that it's just okay. It's just okay. It was really meaningful. That's great. Yeah. And this book is an extension of where you first came to the United States. One of your first goals was to publish a book. 
right? <laughs> but my first goal, actually, yeah, you remember correctly, wasn't still is the most important form of showing my work for me. So two questions. One, why is it the most important form for you? And well, let's start there. Why is a book the most important form of showing your work for you? I think because in a book, I'm able to tell the whole story, beginning, middle, and end, which in most shows, unless I have a huge solo show, most shows I can't. As you know, solo shows are eight large prints or 10 large prints. Then there are the group shows. So it's like bits and pieces of your work. The book is telling the whole story. The book is also very reasonably priced. My book is $26 on Amazon and on the Fide and Monacelli um, website. So anyone can buy it. It's not like the prints or the fancy art world. Anyone can get into a store, order it on Amazon, so everyone can have it. In my books, I never compromise. I'm telling the story. I was lucky to have Alan Rapp, the editor of both my first book, Closer, when he was still with Chronicle, and this book, Midlife, when he was in Monticelli, now Biden, uh, work with me. And he's really, he gets my vision. And I also don't have to think about the sales as I do when I have many shows with commercial galleries. You know, I can include the images that are maybe more beautiful and decorative, but also the ones that are challenging or direct or disturbing. And there is a text with it. And I work very, very hard, you know, because you published book on the sequence and editing. And then when it's finished, I mean, midlife is seven years of photographing, about a year and something work of making the book. It's a piece of life and I stand behind every decision there. Shows are different. There's the frames and like different things you have to compromise on the numbers of images, which images, if it's a commercial gallery, museum, can you have nudity, all those things. So a book I feel is really, it also doesn't come down. It's always there. And if it sell out like Closer did, it can go to second edition and it has a longer life. Which is wonderful, really. Very meaningful. And we do, I don't think people understand the number of compromises you make to create a successful gallery show or museum show or any other sort of exhibition. It doesn't diminish the work, but there are always trades. Right. Always. Right, right. And in a book, I think I will just not go there because I know it's not one show that will be up for five weeks. This is the final product. This is it. And I will just not, I'll not compromise with any decision. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> lucky. <laughs> you are lucky. It is. But those are the things we live for as artists, those moments, really. This is really actually everything. Just your true voice. That's why we're artists. We, there's something we want to say and put out there in the world. And this is actually it, you know, you know. Yeah. You know. And you earn that, you earn that right. You earn that moment. It doesn't just for younger artists who are listening or photographers. It doesn't always happen your first book out. No. Even here, I mean, Midlife is my fourth monograph. And I won the Guggenheim, the Infinity, and had work in the New Yorker, and blah, 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 blah. And I had 
I have to keep going from one publisher to another until I get it published. So yeah. it's, it's still, you know, it's not, it's not easy. No, I don't think a lot of young artists understand that either, that success helps you or allows you to have additional success, but it doesn't guarantee any of that. Right. And maybe it's okay that they don't understand all of it. <laughs> we didn't when I was 24 and coming to New York. Here, you know. um, Same. So I think, and as a teacher, I struggle with it. How much to share, um, but also I don't want to discourage young artists. So not at all. There has to be also some innocence and optimism. So yeah, and I struggle with it to be honest. How much to share and in what tone? And I want to be nurturing but not misleading. And I don't think you discourage somebody from making the work they need to make or developing their voice. And you don't want to give a picture of the art world or the commercial world that's discouraging either. It's just a lot of work. And you do earn, as you have more successes, the right or the ability to do more things. Right? Yeah. It's good to know some of it and not to take it personally. So I think when I was younger, there were a lot of things I just took personally and I took that this is a sign that I'm not talented. And it's hard to know. Also, it depends on the student and on what do you see that they have and how much they're willing to put, how motivated they are. So you oh. have to feel each person and their goals. That's true. And even as an artist who's been working for a while, and you mentioned it in one of our earlier conversations, there are moments of self-doubt. They're, they're coming weekly. I mean, I feel, <laughs> you know, this is one of the things that I do share. This is just a part of the deal. It doesn't go away. I mean, maybe, I don't know, I, I didn't speak to Nan Golden or, or Gursky recently. Maybe, <laughs> those of, but I'm sure they even have their doubts years and um and it's a part a lot of my students or even colleagues are asking what do i do with this feeling of self-doubt i'm like nothing just like keep on going <laughs> <laughs> you know there's something you can do and you can evaluate your career but it's a part of who we are and your work is being turned down and a lot of refusals and this is just a part of it well, and if you're continuing to create and evolve, it's about looking forward. I feel very good about my career. You've had an extraordinary career, but you still want to be valid and create work moving forward. And there has to be a part of the sense of self-doubt if you're exploring things that you haven't before. It's built in. Yeah. And it's a part of, you know, if you always feel great about your work, that's not necessarily good. As we know, you need to self-doubt and you need to push yourself and you need to look at my own images and say, these are not really good and this is not what I'm trying to say and I have to go harder and dig deeper. So then how do you find a place or your place in an evolving marketplace? And it is a fine art. I call it the fine art marketplace because I think it is, whether it's not for profit or commercial or museums. How do you continue to find your place? I try to just make work that is, I think, honest. This is maybe really what leads me. My work is autobiographical, but it has to keep changing and growing. So I feel that what was true for Closer, I'm not the same person, not the same voice. So first there is the work 
what is burning in me? What do I want to say? And then comes the practical things like where, who is going to publish it? Who's going to show it? And even there, many times I find that the strategy doesn't really help you. A lot of it is like talking to people. It can be the right publisher, but then a terrible editor or a publisher that maybe not be exactly right, but a wonderful person that gets you and your work. And uh, same with galleries. It can be you know, the best gallery, and but it doesn't work. And then it can be a medium or a small size gallery, but there's someone there that's really passionate about you. So a lot of it is very much about just being in the world, meeting people, feeling the people, trying to work together, seeing what works, getting an opportunity and maybe taking a little turn from what you thought would be right. It's a lot about, yes, like a long-term goal and a decision that will not gonna change, but also about navigating and, and what do you make with certain opportunities? Let's say even editorial assignments, for some artists can be something that can shift them from what they wanted to do originally as artists. And I had to find a way to make the editorial work something that is kind of parallel to my own voice as an artist and make stories that echo my personal work and make it successful, which is also <laughs> difficult who to work with, and the same with teaching, if the opportunity comes, what kind of classes do I want to teach? So a lot of it is what do you do with the opportunities that you get? And we not always get to choose. Something comes your way, you can say no, or you can try to turn it into something right for you. Yeah, no, I think so. And I, that also comes, I think, with time as well, understanding how to make those choices in a way that's the best for you. Right. Because you understand right. your tools and yourself a little better for you and for your talent you know you have to understand i have to understand what i'm not good at what are the, the assignments that i'm not right for and that i better turn down or they will eventually not take me to do anyway because i'm not so good in it and what is right for me what kind of classes are right it's a lot of a lot of figuring out also who you are and what you can do and how you can make a living which is also challenging if you don't come from money and i think that making money is something that is not being talked about enough i agree that's one of the reasons why great people eventually drop out of this field they have kids they were they just get married they start a family whatever they do it, it becomes harder to make the work and have some income i'm not talking about becoming making a lot of money i'm just talking about you know making enough for your fields and mortgage or whatever. <laughs> no, I understand. And we tend not to, whether it's the fine art market or the commercial market, somehow, particularly in art schools, there's a certain taboo right. around the idea of monetizing what we do, which is essential. I love some of the commercial work I do, but I always view jobs that I don't particularly want to do, but pay well, as things that give me the ability to do the things I love. Right, right. And that's just the way our world works. I'm thankful to still be around and be part of it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so you had a successful book. What's the difference between that and, say, an image like The Kiss that went viral in an editorial sense? How do both those things affect your career? I think, to be honest, one felt like 
I encountered some luck out there in the world. It doesn't happen a lot, but the kiss is a good image, but the amount of attention it got, if I'm comparing it to midlife, to the depth and the complexity and the amount of images, it felt almost the opposite. Like I did an assignment, I took it very seriously, I worked hard with an assignment, one image, and it got so much attention. Um, with midlife, maybe also because of the complexity and because of the challenging images there, it was a lot of work and a lot of struggle. But then when it was out, it was successful almost in spite of all the struggle and all the people that didn't want to show it because they thought it would never sell. Or So there was a feeling of winning that I was very proud of in midlife, very proud of. And almost, of, I don't want to sound corny, but like love to all those people, usually people around my age and older, women and, and some men that were so supportive, really embraced this body of work. And it meant so much. It was like sitting at home in tears. With the kiss image, I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is great. And I just, sometimes you just get lucky. So can you explain the kiss, how it came about? Yes, so the kiss, I got a call from Joanna Milton in The New Yorker, which I've worked with for years when she was still uh, Kathy Ryan's deputy in the New York Times magazine, that they are about to publish this short story of this young, unknown writer, Kristen Rupanian, who, by the way, ended up writing um, the text for Midlife for me because... Oh, I didn't realize. ...really bonded. She deserved the success that she's really smart and talented so i'm like okay and so they sent me the short story i read the short story magazines it's always like last minute we got on the conference call and we discuss what will be right to photograph what image will be good to go alongside the story and there are many kisses in this short story it's about kind of a bad dating relationship between an older man and a younger woman and we decided to focus on the different kisses but then knowing myself, um, and as I told you before, we don't have talents and everything. I know that I'm not great with working with models. I am good with working with real people in real situations, allowing things to happen in front of my camera. So I said that it would be great if we can find a similar couple that are really a couple. And they found the couple within a few days. My husband was my assistant on the shoot and we spent the afternoon with this couple. The New Yorker covered the wine also for the character. They had to keep kissing and doing this kiss and this kiss and all the kisses in the short story. And this is it. I sent my edit of some of the kisses, maybe 35 kisses images from four hours shoot and they picked this one. Yeah. Kristen and I stayed in touch and she ended up writing the essay for midlife. That's wonderful. Yeah. And that image, I don't think for a few weeks, there wasn't anywhere you could look oh where it God. wasn't popping up. It was crazy. It got a lot of exposure. Even in Israel, there are articles about the image. Yeah. I'm going to step back for young artists. When you came to America and we were talking before we started the podcast about there, how there are a lot of international students and others, particularly in New York and San Francisco, Los Angeles. As a young woman from Israel, 
What were the challenges you faced and what were the differences you found in the way that perhaps business was done in Israel and in New York? Oh my God, I was so unprepared. First of all, it's not that I was even so experienced. I was not experienced in Israel and here. From high school, I went straight to the Israeli army for two years. And then from the Israeli army, I actually got an early, they let me off and a month earlier so straight to my BFA. And from the minute I took down my thesis exhibition, I went to New York. The main thing, there are a few things. First, I was really lonely. I mean, Iran couldn't come with me. My husband, he was my boyfriend there. And I was here for four months, some of the time living with my aunt here in Queens. And there is a big difference in the culture. And this was hard for me to, to, to get. If you're in Israel and someone tells you, this is really good work. Please keep in touch. It's not for us for now, but maybe in the future. Thank you very much. This is great because if in Israel, if they don't want to work with you, they will tell you, we really don't think you're talented. This work is a piece of shit. And, you know, good luck because I don't see any chance for you in this business. Then, you know, this is a no. So... <laughs> The first few times I met with people, I was kind of confused because it seemed positive. And it took me a time, like some time to understand that this is a different way. And I'm not saying really what's honest and what's not honest. It's, it's just a matter of, I guess, different cultural behaviors. And, and even today, I'm like so suspicious because I can never really know what they're telling me uh, with being nice. And that was really difficult. Like, what are they really saying? Because in Israel, it's very clear to the point where now when I come and I visit Israel, the first few days, I'm like, God, I forgot how it seems so rude and so aggressive. But for Israelis to behave in this way would seem very misleading and hypocritical which people here are not hypocritical. It's just different codes and different behaviors. But that was hard. And it, to be honest, it's still hard. It's still hard. <laughs> sure, it is. <laughs> it is. It's a, a mystical world in some ways. So you're at the midpoint in your career. What is one thing that you've learned along the way? Persistence. Hmm. That's great. Really, to keep on going. You can maybe have a bad day or this this week where you're like i hate photography it's okay but then keep on going with thought not with just persistence like what is the next thing to do who should i email what work should i what should i be talking about who am i right now we keep on changing but to really be devoted to what you're doing and keep on going is is so important and what personal characteristic do you most attribute your success to? Persistence. <laughs> the same. I am, even though I look very like sweet and there is something in me that is even angry when I don't get my voice out there, when I want to get my images out, something is really angry and and it doesn't let go and I keep on going. I keep on going even when it's hard. And how have you evolved personally and professionally over the course of your career? I think I'm 
I'm much more aware of what I want to say than I was. I think the early work was more intuitive. I am so opinionated right now. God, I hope it will not continue to evolve because it, it will. I am a feminist. I'm a humanist. And there are things that I, I really am passionate about talking about and changing. So, and some of the work comes from even anger and frustration and, and things that I want to address. On the other hand, I'm more patient and compassionate. You know, maybe to simplify it, I'm just older. <laughs> so <laughs> I have less time to do things that I'm passionate about, but then I'm older, I'm wiser, and I accept people as they are. And I definitely have more compassion to people, to my kids, to my husband. Hmm. Okay. And one last question. What advice would you give someone who has the desire to step out on a new career path and who would like to create a career based on something they love and believe in? If this something is art or in general? Well, we can say art. We can say in general. What would you do? Um, it's funny that you're asking this question because yesterday I was with my son in his room and I said, this, we, we were just talking about it yesterday in his room. And I said, this is one of the hardest things that I'm being asked because it so depends on the day. What I say would depend on selfishly. We all feel things based on what we're going through. And some days I feel, thank God I didn't give up. And I kept on working hard, trying every avenue and, and developing my work and demanding the most from my work. And some days I'm like, why didn't I choose something else? Why did I leave Israel for that? Was it worth the price? No, it wasn't. And I regret almost every decision I made. Um, and some days I'm just regretting some and grateful for others. I guess we should all really listen to our hearts, not to the cliches of, you know, I have to be a famous artist. Do I really want to be an artist? Do I want to be a photo editor or a curator or maybe work with kids that don't have the money for a fancy education and give my time for that what do i really want to do not just how society sees success what is success for me and it's it sounds easy but it's really really difficult you know when i was with art and commerce and we talked about it years ago four years this is a blue chip agency it's like this looks like success but a lot of those jobs didn't feel right for me. So what is success for you? It's really the question. And if you know what you want to do, something that you really love, you're ready to fight for, then just do it. That's beautiful. Perfect <laughs> way to wrap up. Thank you, Honor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Thomas. No, thank you. I hope it can help someone out there. I think it will. It's <laughs> always good to talk. Always good to talk. And thank you for doing this today. And we will... Be in touch and good luck with the book. I can't wait to see it. Thank you for listening. I hope that you join us next time on Thomas Werner Podcast.